Griswold is an apostle. One's here. First one's here. First one's here. But we're so far away, Clark. Right, right. And at the end of the day, when the lot's all full and everybody's fighting to get out of here, we'll be the first ones out, too, right? Why? Because we're the Griswolds. <laughs> Come on, I'll race you. That's a great clip, isn't it? Um, they'd driven for two weeks across the country to get to the family fun park. They had this big run across the parking lot only to see that it was closed for two weeks. Um, but they did have supernatural perseverance getting to that point regardless. Uh, we're going to talk about week eight of our series on Philippians. Um, is that working? We have technical issues. That's all right. I'm not mad. All right, Grace Life, Supernatural Perseverance, week eight in our series on Philippians. Now, just to give you some background, chapter three, chapter one and two were very warm and fuzzy. Paul was writing it to the church in Philippi. Chapter three's kind of been kind of a butt kicking, right? It's been kind of harsh. Beware of dogs, beware of evildoers, and he talks about some other things. And then this week, he's talking about perseverance and not quitting, And so I'm going to read the passage to you uh, from Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 21. Then we'll break it down to the historical application, the theology, and then the devotional part of it. So uh, Philippians 3, 12 to 21. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do... Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. You hear what he says? How many of y'all would have the confidence to say that to someone? Brothers, join in imitating me 
and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, they quit. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await our, a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. There is a lot in this passage, and we're going to try to make sure it doesn't uh, give too much. Um, let's see. There we go. We had a little freeze up here. We have a lot of technical issues today. Somebody doesn't want me to preach this sermon, but we're going to do it anyway. All right. Let's talk about the historical application of this passage. Paul's remarkable endurance. I'm going to give you some history here. I understand what had happened in this story. Paul had displayed some amazing endurance in his ministry. Think about it. He'd been persecuted by the religious who wanted to kill him for preaching the gospel of Jesus. He'd been persecuted by pagans who were taking people away from their false religions. He was being persecuted by Rome because the gospel was creating this uproar and this stir. And so the Romans wanted him dead. And now he's suffering in prison, and all three of these groups are very, very glad he's there. They all want him executed. The religious want him dead, the pagans want him dead, and the Romans want him dead. He's about to be executed, and yet even with all this stuff, these years of planting churches and running from people that wanted to kill him, and people calling him names and just blasting him and and discouraging him and scourging him and all these things happening, he's about to face death. All he has to do, really, is to denounce Jesus. That's all he has to do. But in all that, his final thoughts are on making sure he's the best possible pastor and best possible friend and best possible brother he could be to the church in Philippi. See, Paul had made a commitment to the Philippians, and he would never, ever turn his back on them He would never turn his back on the gospel of Jesus. He was locked in. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think the Philippians could have possibly been inspired by Paul's endurance? Do you think the Philippians were thinking, man, you know, this gospel thing must be amazing because this Paul guy is a really smart guy. He used to hate Christians, and now he's giving his life for it. He won't quit. Do you think that was an inspiration to that church? I mean, his commitment to them, the level that he was willing to go to be committed to them. Do you think Paul was motivated by the fact that the Philippians would never turn their back on him? Would you think that Paul was motivated to continue on to persevere because as he had taught the Philippians the gospel, they had stayed true to it. They had never turned their back on it. They had never tried to change it or adulterate it. They began to love the people in their community, in their town, and they were growing. Do you think that their obedience and faithfulness encouraged Paul? Actually, Philippians says in chapter one, it did, in fact. They knew, the Philippians did, that in Paul... They had a reliable, durable, honest ally that would never, ever change. Can you imagine the impact if Paul had given up on the Philippians or the gospel? 
okay, listen, fine, kill me or don't kill me. I don't care. This is not worth it. Yes, the Philippians are great, but I'd rather live. I'll stop preaching the gospel. I'll stop taking a stand. I'll stop serving. I'll stop suffering for the gospel. I'll stop enduring. I give up. Don't kill me. Let me go. Can you imagine the impact that would have had? And why didn't the Philippians turn their back on Paul? Why didn't Paul turn his back on the Philippians? Was it because they were just great people? No, they were sinners just like us. Paul wasn't some superstar better than we are. You know that? He wasn't. The Philippians weren't some amazing people with this special gene pool that makes them faithful. They were just like us. People struggling in their marriages, people struggling with money, people struggling in recovery, people struggling with their jobs, people struggling with their spirituality. They were just like us. Yet somehow, Paul and the Philippians had this amazing supernatural perseverance. And you know why they had that? Because their faith, which is a... Their faith was durable. It was lasting... Their faith, which came from Heavenly Dad, was irreversible. And the endurance that they had because of this supernatural faith produced this supernatural perseverance that allowed it to feed off of each other. It was like a positive faith feedback loop. That's the history. Isn't that a great history? Doesn't that give you good insight as to why he writes this? Now let's look at the theology. What about God? What did he do and and why and how did he do it? Let me explain to you what supernatural perseverance looks like. This is what it looks like when God has given you the gift of faith. Just like he gave the gift of faith to the Philippians and to Paul, this is what supernatural perseverance looks like when its source is faith. The first thing, yearning. He says that in verse 12 and 13. I'll scroll back up. He says, I haven't already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I don't consider myself to have made it on my own, but one thing I do, I forget what's those things that are behind and reach forward to those things which are before. There is a yearning where real faith drives you to something deeper, something better, no matter how good the mountaintop may seem, if you have been given the gift of faith, you know this. It might be great right now, but there is something better, closer to God than I am right now. And I know that we're in the valley when we're struggling, we know there's something better. You know, sometimes we get on the mountaintop and we think this is it. Here's a great example in Matthew 17, 14. Uh, there's a story about Jesus and the disciples, and they go on a mountain. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face began to shine like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, Peter and the disciples are there watching all this, right? And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us just to stay right here, if you wish. Can we just build three tents to live in? One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Can we just stay right here? And later on, Jesus says, no, you can't stay right here. This is nothing. Even when you're on living life and things are great, you're on a mountaintop, 
If you have been given the gift of faith, even when things are going well, there's still going to be this yearning inside of you for more. And especially when you're struggling, there's a yearning inside of you for more. We are reaching, but we have not yet reached. It's the best picture like of a child reaching for a mommy or a daddy on the floor. And I was thinking about this because I was watching my niece, Noelle, this weekend. We had some family dinner night at our house on Friday. And she was walking, and her dad, Chad, was coming in, and, and she reached up for Chad. And I said, that's exactly. And she was reaching up like, up, up. You know, she's, and that's an exactly the way children of God are when it comes to our yearning for Heavenly Dad. We are reaching, but we have not yet reached. We are being perfected, but we are not yet perfect. Even when there are valleys, real faith enables you to press on and not fall in love with a mountaintop. So that's the first thing about supernatural perseverance. There is going to be this this unexplainable, deep yearning for more. Then there's growing. Real faith will not allow you to be stagnant in your walk with Jesus. We see that in verse 14 through 16 when Paul talks about, you know, I forget those things which are behind and I reach forward to those things which are before. I press on to what lies ahead. We are determined. That's when he says, I press on. He says, I'm determined because of the gift of faith. I continue on. Yes, I helped plant the church in Philippi and it's going great, but I'm going to keep going. We are determined. We are focused on the goal. You know, sometimes we can do church really well, but if we're not focused on the right direction, it doesn't matter. Um, I don't really watch a lot of golf anymore. It's gotten kind of boring for me. Back when Tiger was killing it, I watched every tournament. I loved watching this guy play, right? Could you imagine, like, if Tiger was winning, like, back in the 90s and he was killing everybody? And for those of you that are too young to remember the 90s, just pretend. So... Back in the 90s, he comes up, he's on the 18th hole at Augusta, he's up by three strokes, and he can hit the ball a mile, and he gets up, and he lines up the shot to the 18th hole, and the announcers are talking, Tiger Woods has got a driver, he's going to kick, you know, drive it right down the middle, and right before he goes to turn, he turns around, and he aims to the 17th tee, and he just pulls the driver back, and he whacks it 375 yards the wrong direction. What do you think the announcers would say? Like that, the guy, the British guy, oh, let's analyze this swing. The back swing is deliciously beautiful. He comes back and he has here and he, the torque in his hips and he comes through the ball. Just a clean shot straight as an arrow right down to the 17th tee box. Yes, he was supposed to hit to the 18th, but it's such a beautiful shot. See, this is the problem with churches. We really work hard to make sure that our swing is beautiful, but sometimes we're not going the right direction. We have to be determined. And what I believe is this. If a church is preaching the gospel of Jesus, we will have the right goal. We will shoot the right direction. The problem is sometimes churches forget the basic fundamentals. Hebrews chapter 5, 11, and 12 says this. And some people think Paul wrote this, and some people are not sure. But here's what the author says. He was writing to a church that was very well educated, but had forgotten the basics of the gospel. And the author writes, about this, we have a lot to say, and it's really hard for me to understand why I'm having to say this to you again, because I feel like you've become dull of hearing. For by this time, guys, you really ought to be teachers, but yet you need someone to come back and teach you again the basic principles of the truths of God. You need milk 
and not solid food. See, this is what happens when we haven't been given the supernatural gift of faith to trust in the gospel. We will wander from truth, and we have the wrong goal, and we stop growing. But if you have been given the supernatural gift of faith, you will have yearning, you will have growing, and I love this one, you will be inspiring. Because see, what happens is real faith transforms us into people that are worthy to be imitated. Paul says, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And he says, we have for you this group of witnesses. He's talking about Epaphroditus and Timothy and himself. Who uh, Epaphroditus almost died serving them. Paul is about to die. And Timothy has been great and faithful. And Paul says, be like me. It wasn't Paul being arrogant because he says in the verse before it, this is not of my own. But if you've been given the gift of faith, you will end up having a life that is inspiring and worthy to be imitated. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, same book. Look at what he says here. The author says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which easily clings to us and weighs us down, and let us run with perseverance. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him persevered or endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And what the scripture teaches us here is this, that when we look around us and we see people who have been transformed, people whose lives are changing, and I look at it, the perseverance is inspiring and I want to imitate you. Because real faith, get this now, it doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but real faith will make you imitatable. I don't know if that's a real word, but I'm putting it in there. If your life and this is not a judgmental statement. Please don't take it that way. Because I have confidence in the God in you that it's true, okay? But if your life doesn't have qualities that others can aspire to, there may be a problem. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you're every, every time you're right on. But there should be some things in your life that other people can look at and say, wow, I aspire to be like that. Because real faith, I'm talking about real faith, which is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works or else you'd brag. Real faith is transformational, and it will make you inspiring to others. And the last ingredient of what supernatural perseverance looks like is hoping. These are things that God does to us when he gives us the gift of faith. Real faith enables you to be forward-looking people because faith assures us that the future is better than anything the past or present has to offer. That's why Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are before. We remain motivated by the hope and the end result of our faith. Now listen, that does not mean that the things we've been through in the past, hard times that we went through, good times that we enjoyed, the times we had victory in our lives, it doesn't mean that those things can't encourage us. Of course they do. And when we struggle and God brings people in our lives to help us heal, we go through loss, we go through pain. Those things can be good things that we remember, but they aren't the end. We have the ability to hope in the fact that our faith will do something even greater. 
That's why the gospel and the scriptures say faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And the, the scripture also says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I'm going to read to you a passage from 2 Corinthians that Paul wrote. I, this is a powerful passage. Just try to listen to this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, in other words, we have pain, we have suffering, our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things that we see are temporary, get that? But the unseen things are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, this body, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan and we long to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. And what, In other words, what Paul is saying is, Even while we're struggling, we are created as creatures because of faith that have hope, knowing that in the end, our faith is going to make us glorious. And we yearn and long for that time. Yes, there are good things in life. There are bad things in life. But if you've been given the gift of faith, you know there's something really, really good at the end. And it drives us to be people of hope. We remain motivated by the end result of our faith. We have confidence, hope, expectation that the end result, which is glorification, will knock our socks off. So that's the theology theology part, what God does, and how he makes us people of supernatural perseverance. Now let's look at the devotional. Supernatural perseverance is part of the grace life. Now, before I get into that, I do want to admit there are many things that can serve to derail and discourage us from the grace life, to try to hinder our perseverance. There's denominational fights. I've been a part of them. There are criticism from friends about our life. Sometimes it's fair, sometimes it's unfair, but either way, it's not fun. And as we saw earlier, bad theology can interrupt your grace life or interrupt your supernatural perseverance. Sometimes finances can be a problem. Money can really be a distraction, both too much and not enough. Political conflicts inside the church and outside of the church can really rob you of joy and hope and supernatural perseverance. Interpersonal conflicts, fights among ourselves, can rob us of supernatural perseverance and the joys of the grace life. You know what else can rob us? Our very own personal failures. It's 100% our fault. We did it wrong. And that's a valley. And all these things, I'm not minimizing because I don't want to do this Pollyanna pie in the sky type of thing. I understand that all these things can shake your confidence. They can make you think about quitting. They can rob you of joy. They can destroy relationships. But let me tell you what will happen when you've been given the gift of faith. Supernatural perseverance is part of that humble confidence we discussed last week. Do you remember that? 
faith gives us humble confidence because our faith does not require us to trust in accomplishing religious to-do lists. Faith enables us to have endurance, stay in the fight, stay committed, stay side-by-side, back-to-back, shoulder-to-shoulder, knowing that we can look over during difficult times and find that we are not alone. I was thinking about Jamie this morning. Jamie is at All Children's Hospital with her sick daughter today in St. Pete. But you know what? We've been talking to her through Facebook and through text message. She knows she's not alone. There have been times you guys have gone through difficult times. You've lost a family member or you've lost a job or you're going through an illness or whatever. And you've relied upon your brothers and sisters in Christ who have endurance, supernatural endurance, to come alongside of you and help you. And in return, your suffering, which we talked about in week two of this series, your suffering encourages them as they see you come through it. And your perseverance inspires them. And you now become imitatable because of the gift of faith. Faith allows us to see how the gospel and how God keeps the body of Christ right with us. And that is when we find inspiration, motivation, courage, and a second wind when things are really weighing us down because faith feeds on itself. You know what else happens? Real faith will, in the end, keep us from eating our own. Look, I'm not saying we won't have conflicts because sometimes you guys are wrong. Of course we're going to have issues. But supernatural perseverance, which is a byproduct of faith, which is a gift, will always force us at some some point to squash these conflicts. You know, people that stay bitter for 20 or 30 years, I don't know how they can know the gospel. I don't think you can. I I really don't think you can. Because I I believe that when God saves you, he does a really good job. And one of the things he does is he doesn't let you rest until you squash a conflict. Because we know that Christ is keeping us and he's keeping those around us faithful together because those with real faith will not quit on the gospel and they will not quit on each other. As your pastor, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going anywhere. I mean, I got nowhere else to go, but still, I'm not. (laughs) I'm kind of all in, you know. (laughs) But even if I did have other options, <laughs> I'm not looking, <laughs> but I wouldn't go. Look, life isn't always easy. Sometimes it's tearfully hard. But many of you, I've seen you go through it. Your faith is an inspiration to me. It motivates me. It inspires me to be a better pastor, a better friend, a better brother. Because I can see, even if you don't recognize it, I can see what God is doing in your life, and it is stunning. Kind of like how the Philippians would look at Paul and say, can you believe this guy in prison is still writing us letters and praying for us and loving us? Can you believe it? It motivates me. And it's kind of a flashback to our very first 
sermon in this series when I talked about the fact that we have this love for one another. And that's what this whole series on Philippians has been about, if you haven't figured it out yet, how we love each other as a church, how we live the grace life. And I see your endurance, and it really motivates me. Because supernatural perseverance means we will never quit, even when we want to. How many times have you said the phrase, oh, I am so done? (laughs) But then you're not done. (laughs) I have been so done with church dozens of times. And humanly speaking, I should be done. I've hurt people. People have hurt me. But you know what happens? The gift of faith that God gave me when I was a freshman in high school has given me this unhuman, nothing to do with Job. Paul says, it's not me. I'm not taking credit for this. He has given me this supernatural perseverance that I know that I will continue to stick with the church. The church will stick with me. I will stick with the gospel. The gospel will stick with me. And I will be with Heavenly Dad and my family one day in heaven. It enables us to continue growing together as a church family. Because we have confidence. Listen, my confidence is not in your faith, but it's in the gift of faith that God has given to you. Your confidence isn't in me, and my confidence isn't in you, but my confidence is in the God in you. And I hope your confidence is in the God in me. I will let you down, but the God in me, who is changing me, will not. That's what the gift of faith does. It's a theology we call perseverance of the saints. It's supernatural. It's inhuman. And it's unbelievably inspirational. As you watch it play out among your brothers and sisters that are living the grace life with you. So when you're feeling like you're a little winded, look around you. You're not alone. When you feel on the mountaintop, look around. Someone else might be in a valley. And together, as we look at what God is doing in each other's lives, we will be overcome with this, I don't know where it came from. I wanted to quit yesterday, but I didn't. I'm here. Some of you next Sunday might not want to come because it's Thanksgiving. Now you have to. Because if you don't have endurance, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, no. If you, if you miss thanks, because I understand, but I would rather you be here. Guys, we have to grow together. We have to be inspiring together. We have to be motivated together. We have to be hoping together. Because supernatural perseverance, if you've really been given the gift of faith, is unavoidable. Megan? Yes, I'm going to pray now. Close your eyes, and when you open it up, it'll be a magic trick. The band will be here. (laughs) Dad, we're just so thankful that you give us supernatural perseverance. We're so glad that even in the midst of our struggles and our failures and all those things, somehow you enable us to keep going without fail. God, I'm so thankful that the people in this church have perseverance that inspires me. And Lord, I hope that my perseverance inspires them. Together, we continue this positive feedback loop of faith and endurance. We're so thankful for the gift of faith. 
and how it makes us endure to the end. Amen. Amen.